you have a copy of God's Word, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to Colossians chapter 2 this morning as we've been led so beautifully in worship, through music, through so many different gifts and talents and callings this morning. We want to continue in a spirit of worship as we open His Word together. It is good to see you here this morning. Last Sunday, uh, prior to this service, I stood here or sat here and preached a message to a crowd of one. Uh, Jack Fiscus was there in, in, in front, and we had our great media team that was here. And as Nate was coming and as we were, were wrestling with uh, what we were to do, we were thankful for technology and thankful for the ability to be able to live stream those services, but it is good to be in the house of the Lord. It is good to see you here this morning. We're in a series entitled uh, Christ the Sinner, and this morning we want to look at Colossians chapter 2, verses 8 through 23 this morning, as we think carefully, uh, carefully about a pastor's commission this morning. What is Paul's commission in this book of the Bible here, in this section of Scripture? I'm reminded of a real kind of an oasis where I was living prior to coming here to to Homewood and to Birmingham and to Dawson. There was a series of trails that were about five minutes from from my home. And oftentimes I would go and and run those trails. And they were really biking trails. And they were cut through and, and really made by a lot of bikers that were in that community. And I would run them, but all throughout those trails, they would be warning signs that would say, warning, steep grade ahead, warning, sharp curve ahead. And they were stories that you would hear, not stories of runners, especially not me. I mean, I don't run fast enough to where the, the curves pose any danger for me. But, but bikers that were unaware and didn't heed the signs would end up over their handlebars. And oftentimes, it had dire physical consequences for them. Now, in this passage here, Paul is going to give us four warning signs to heed. He is going to put up before us on the trail of the Christian life four warning signs of false teaching that he is warning the church in Colossae to heed lest they go over their spiritual handlebars and they are not physical consequences but rather spiritual consequences. Notice with me starting in verse 8 of Colossians chapter 2. See to it that no one takes you captive, Paul says. By philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ." Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Therefore, 
In verse 16, we read, Let no one pass judgment on you in the questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are shadows of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind, and not holding fast, in verse 19, to the head, from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, parenthetically referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Let's heed in these passages four warning signs on the trail of the Christian life. Let's step back. Let's think about some practical applications as we understand the specificity of what Paul is warning that original church to heed. If you're looking at your copy of God's Word in verses 8 and 9, you'll notice the first warning is a warning against false philosophy. In your copy of God's Word, it says, don't be taken captive. That phrase, taken captive, is a phrase that was utilized outside of the New Testament to talk about conquering armies that would come into a community or a city and would take those that they had conquered out of that city and use them as leverage, use them as POWs in larger battles there. So Paul is saying... That what I'm warning you against has dire consequences if you do not heed the warnings. This isn't just an intellectual exercise for Paul. Paul is saying here is that there are those through these false teachings that will ultimately take you captive. That this is spiritual death and enslavement if you don't heed these warnings here. He says, do not be plundered. Do not be taken captive by, and if you notice in the Bible here, it says philosophy. Now, this isn't UAB's philosophy 101 class. This isn't Sanford's philosophy 101 class that Paul's warning against. It's the only time in the New Testament that this word translated in the English Standard Version is utilized. And it actually has a broader, more general meaning of all false religions. Notice the sources. One source is human tradition in verse 8. Human tradition for Paul would have been in that Greco-Roman context, what is ancient and what is old is valued. It's the opposite in our culture. What is new is novel. What is the latest becomes a fad. But in Paul's culture, those with the deepest roots was what was valued. So this false teaching, this false philosophy was rooted in ancient traditions and teaching. It wasn't new, nor was it novel. But Paul ultimately says this human tradition that's being passed on, it is from the elemental spirits of the world there in verse 8. If we had more time, we could talk about a variety of ways that this passage has been interpreted. But ultimately, it seems that the best way to interpret this passage is to see it as the unseen spiritual forces that are at play to delude and to ultimately lead people astray through false teaching. In your margin of the Bible, you can put a corollary passage, which is Ephesians 6, 12, 
that reads this way as Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces. Again, going back to that elemental spirits of the world. The spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So there's a warning that Paul gives against false philosophy that's rooted in human tradition and in the spiritual forces of darkness. He's coming around the curve and he says, watch that warning. The second warning that he gives us is the warning against legalism. This is found in your Bible in verses 16 and 17. Notice again that he says that there are those that are focused upon food and drink. Again, a reference to the Old Testament here of the kosher laws in the first five books of the Old Testament that give a good bit of of specificity of what you don't drink, what you do drink, what you do eat, what you don't eat. And then he gives a listing of of festivals, the new moon, the Sabbath. Uh, He is going into great detail here of, of these types of festivals that would have been celebrated by the Jewish person annually, monthly, and also weekly. Now notice what Paul is saying, that there are those that are leading astray that first, first century church by going back to the Old Testament and, and maximizing the rules and regulations of the law, and they're replacing the relationship that one would have with Christ with the crossing of T's and the dotting of I's here. And so Paul says that this Old Testament law has what he says in your copy of God's word, it is a shadow of things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. So these first century teachers are saying, for you to be right with God, you've got to follow these Old Testament laws. And then you will be right with God. Well, Paul's saying, no, the Old Testament laws, they've been fulfilled in Christ. They have been filled to the full in Christ. You can't keep the laws perfectly, but he has. The Old Testament law, while we still live under the Ten Commandments by, you know, we still live under the rule to love our God with all of our heart, mind, and soul, to love our neighbor as ourselves, we recognize that the Old Testament law is just the opening act for the main event. If you go to a concert, it very well may be that you go, you pay the money to see the, the headliner. But there's usually an opening act, an up-and-coming artist. She will have four songs to sing. Maybe you'll know one of them. He will have six songs to sing. Maybe you'll know one or two of those. But you did not pay to listen to the opening act. You came and you paid your money to hear the headliner. And so what Paul is saying is that there are those false teachers that are saying uh, when the concert ends, they want the opening act to come back out for the encore. And the opening act is supplanting and is surpassing the importance of the headliner, which is Christ Jesus. This is the second warning that Paul gives. A warning against false philosophy, a warning against legalism. And then he gives another warning, which is a warning against angel worship. This is in verse 18 and 19. And he doesn't go into great detail as he's warning them to, to heed. But, but we can look in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 4 through 14. And the anonymous writer of Hebrews goes into great detail how Jesus is superior to the angels, how the angels worship Jesus, and how the angels are servants of Jesus. Well, something has gotten mixed up in that first century church and then the first century false teaching that is influencing the church. And what has happened is, is there are people that are saying the created is more important than the creator. 
earthly, uh, earthly creatures are more important than the eternal creator. And so they're, they're saying that it's important for you to listen to this angelic influences and their dreams and visions that are beginning to, to be issued there and beginning to have authority in that first century church. Now there are some pockets even in the 21st century, in the 20th century even, that angel worship, there's just this great interest in angels and new age and kind of spirituality. You'll even hear a great emphasis upon visions and dreams. And so this is something that's somewhat familiar to us. And it's important for you to understand, yes, angels are God's creatures, but they're never intended to be worshiped. Yes, God can speak to us, but anything that you hear someone say, God told me this in a vision or dream, we need to be really, really wary of and always take back to the true standard, which is God's word. And so what we're discovering in this warning here is that angels have supplanted Christ. That's the third warning. And the final warning is a warning against asceticism. And it's in verses 20 through 23. And these false teachers have come into the church and they've said, this is a list. This is a list of things that you are to eat. These are a list of things that you're not to eat. So don't handle this. Don't taste this. Don't touch this. And it was a false religion that was full of very clear guidelines. And what Paul says is that it appears spiritual, but it doesn't actually produce spiritual fruit. It's like a hamster that makes a lot of noise and it's going around in a wheel, but it's ultimately not getting anywhere in that cage. And so the false teaching against asceticism is saying, don't give in to this false teaching that has a whole set of rules, but doesn't lead you into a deeper relationship with Christ. There, there are four warnings here. And there's much about this that, that we don't know this side of heaven. There's much of the historical context that really just kind of eludes us. But all four of these false teachings, they give us a picture and it really points for us two principles that we want to take home into this week as we follow Christ as our Savior and as our Lord. And the first thing that I want you to discover in addition to these four warnings is that there is a clear antidote to false teaching that Paul gives us for the first century church, but he also gives us for today. Now, what is the antidote to false teaching today? Well, you see it in your copy of God's Word because it's between the first warning and the second warning. There's a little interlude there in verses 9 through 15 where Paul exalts Christ. He talks about Christ's divinity in verse 9. He talks about Christ's authority in verse 10. He talks about Christ's saving power in verses 11 and 15 or through 15. He talks about what Christ has done in his death, in his burial, in his resurrection. He talks about how those that were dead in their sins are now forgiven by Christ. How he has canceled the dead and he has triumphed and disarmed every power and every authority. Notice what Paul says is the antidote to false teaching. It isn't become an expert on false teaching. It isn't that Paul goes into any detail about all the logical inconsistencies of these false teachers. It doesn't say that he gives you any kind of historical background on these false teachers. He points that first century church to Christ. And he says, when you bask in the glory of what Christ has done for you, it is a spiritual antidote to the siren songs of false teaching that are still trying to lure people away from the narrow way. And it is important for us to hear this. You know, even in our day, 
individuals that are trained in detecting counterfeit money in governmental agencies. You, you know, one of the primary strategies that they employ isn't to become familiar with all of the possible manifestations of counterfeiting in our culture. I mean, there, there's a myriad of ways that money and currency could be uh, mimicked and, and counterfeited. But what they are employed to do is to be immensely familiar with what is authentic. And as they are familiar with what is authentic, it gives them the ability to see what is inauthentic. And so it is with us. In a day and age in which there is false teaching... And there, is, there are teachings that lead away from the clear teaching of Scripture. It is very important for us to, to heed the warning, to not become first and foremost experts in all of the potential false teaching, but to become those that have drunk heavily of what is authentic and true. When I was 16, I'd been a Christian for maybe three years. And at a particularly formative time in my life, I realized that there was a whole host of quote-unquote Christian denominations and other religions, and I became somewhat enamored with becoming uh, conversant with all that was out there. Walter Martin has a book called The Kingdom of the Cults. I got that book. I mean, it's thousands of pages, and I would go through each chapter uh, refreshing or really learning all about these different teachings and false religions, and I wanted to hear the door of young men who uh, were on bikes that had little ties on. They would knock on your door and say, can we talk to you about another testament? I was like, come on in, and I would, I would just go back and forth with people that, that were uh, quote-unquote false teachers. And, and I remember going to my pastor at the age of 16 and said, you know, we need to, we need to kind of have a, a class on all of these different religions and all of these different quote-unquote denominations. Our folks need to be more aware of all that is out there. And, and he gave me some really wise counsel. He said, David, when you drink deeply in the well of Christ Jesus, and when you bask in the true authentic source, anything that you drink that has a contaminant in it, you'll notice. Because you've drunk deeply of Christ. And so Dawson, as we think about the potential false teaching that is out there, it very well may be the best counsel that I could give you. It very well may be that the counsel that Paul has given us is to acclimate our spiritual taste buds to what is true and what is pure and what is authentic, and that is Christ Jesus. That is the antidote to false teaching. So we see four warnings. We see an antidote. And then we also see finally this morning the reality of false teaching. It seems obvious to say this. Paul gives no disclaimers to this. He, he doesn't give a footnote to point this out. But I think it's important in our culture to, to state what would have been obvious to Paul that oftentimes in our culture, our culture is oblivious to. And what Paul is saying in this passage is, is that they are teaching in the first century and certainly teachings in the 21st century that are not correct and that would lead someone astray from the teaching of Christ. This is something that was obvious to Paul. But again, in our culture, we're becoming somewhat oblivious too. There was a movie that my kids really loved. 
and that your kids loved or your grandkids loved. It was the Lego movie. And the reoccurring soundtrack throughout the entire movie was, was this song called Everything is Awesome. Everything is cool when you're part of a team. Everything is awesome. It's a very catchy song. And in many ways, that line, everything is awesome, can really sum up the attitude, the prevailing attitude of much of our culture. Everything is awesome. Everything is right. Everything is correct. Everything is true as long as you passionately believe in it. As long as you passionately believe it, it must be true. We live in a day where the cultural stream will say that who are you to say that I am wrong when I really feel it and I'm really passionate about it? So any belief, any cultural worldview, as long as it is passionately adhered to by the proponent, then must be true. Our culture Tolerance trumps everything. Relativism rules in our culture. And so as long as one passionately believes in their preference of gender identity, it must be true. As long as one passionately believes that Christianity is a boat to heaven, but there are also equally valid boats that one can go that aren't Christian boats. As long as you passionately believe that, then it must be true because relativism rules. As long as you passionately believe in the choice of your gender, then it must be true because tolerance trumps everything within our culture. And Paul is saying in this passage something that we as Christians need to be reminded of. Everything is not awesome. Everything that can be proposed and everything that can be believed, just because one passionately believes it, doesn't then make it the authentic, uh, authentic uh, I'm not saying that word, the authenticity of the belief right there. I will get it out. Choir, can you all help me with this right here a little bit? I remember when I was a pastor in my previous church and I had an individual that came to me and said, I'm leaving my wife. I found someone else, and I've never been more happy in my life. And you know something, David? God wants me to be happy. For him, his belief that he passionately believed in, his preference at this season of his life that he passionately adhered to was the foundation that I had to remind him of was a faulty foundation. So I told him, man, I love you, but you're wrong. I love you, but God is not as concerned with your happiness as he is your holiness. And just because you passionately believe in this season of your life and these choices that you're making, I'm here to tell you that you're passionately wrong about your choices. Listen, if passionate adherence was the standard of truth, then we would recognize here that, that, that Hitler was immensely passionate about Nazism, but he was passionately wrong. David Koresh was immensely passionate in Waco, but he was passionately 
wrong. So our passion for something doesn't then make it true in our culture. So Paul is saying there's some warnings that you need to heed. Paul is saying in this passage there are some things that are untrue. But Paul is also saying in this passage that the antidote to this false teaching isn't for you to become an expert in all the nuances of false teaching out there, but actually to drink deeply of what is actually authentic and actually life-giving, and that is Christ Jesus. Going back to those trails, every year on those trails they would run a 50-mile or 75-mile or 100-mile run through these trails in the middle of July, Mississippi July. That, my friends, is insane is what that is. But they would have runners that would come all across the United States to run 50 miles, 75 miles, 100 miles in Mississippi July heat. You know, one of the things that happens is that you start out and you hydrate pretty well. But what can happen is over time, the further that you run under the shade, quote unquote, of all of the trails and all the trees, you begin to forget to drink. You forget, you forget to hydrate. And what often happens is, is 75 miles into these races, 76 miles into these races, one would become dehydrated. And you know what happens when you become dehydrated? You begin to become delusional. You begin to, well, you begin to see things that actually aren't there. And so there would be animals that people would imagine seeing, but they were hallucinating that because what? They were dehydrated. There would be people that would run off of the trails, and so people would have to, to watch them because they knew that they could ultimately become lost. They can ultimately become really, really afraid on these trails because they were not physically hydrated. You know, oftentimes, spiritually, we can see things that aren't there. We can believe things that aren't true. And it's often because we have not drunk deeply and consistently of the antidote of false teaching, and that is Christ Jesus. Are you this morning, Christian, spiritually dehydrated? Are you this morning spiritually dehydrated? Because when you are, tolerance will trump everything, relativism will rule, and you will not heed the warning signs that are before you. And when you miss the warning signs, oftentimes in life, we go head first over the handlebars and spiritually and physically crash. Dawson, drink deeply of Christ Jesus. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you for your word that speaks to our hearts, a word that warns, a word that guides, a word that invites. We recognize that every path is not an equally valid path. Every teaching is not equally truthful. May we heed the warnings as Paul, commissioned by the Holy Spirit to, to point out these warnings. May we heed these warnings within our own culture. And may we drink deeply of the only thing that can satisfy. May we drink deeply of you in and through your word, in and through prayer. 
May we be spiritually hydrated to be able to lead people along the path of life as husbands, as fathers, as wives, as mothers, as grandparents, as brothers, as sisters, as college students, as high school students, as children. May we drink deeply of the life-giving water of Christ. It's in your name we pray. Amen and amen.